0: And now, here's the episode.
1: All right, well, good morning. Good to see you. It's December now, so I can say this. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All right, I'll take it. Next week, you got to do better on the Merry Christmas. The Happy New Year's optional. All right, uh, it's so good to see you guys. Good to be with you. Uh, my name's Aaron, pastor here. If we haven't met, I'd love for you to come up and say hello. That'd be really nice. Hope you guys are enjoying this absolutely beautiful weekend. I haven't seen the sun in days. It's getting. I'm starting to feel it. Okay. Um, anyway, hopefully this will make you this will make you feel better. I think this will make you feel better because it is December. It is Advent, which means we get to talk about must-have gifts. Uh, I'm. We love doing this every year. Uh, the reason why this might make you feel better, actually, is because it is better to give than it is to receive. Amen. It really is, all right? It is better to give than it is to receive. That's your, and just in case you have this filed away in the wrong category, that's not just some, like, cheesy Christmas slogan. That's from the Bible, right? I'm not quoting Tiny Tim, guys. I'm <laughs> quoting Jesus, <laughs> It is better to give than it is to receive. Along those lines, uh, we have must have gifts. Uh, we do this every year. The premise for this is very simple. Um, while we're shopping and, and buying gifts for one another, which of course is a good, good thing, um, we want to be careful not to lose perspective along the way. And we want to be careful not to forget, while we're enjoying having more than enough, Uh, that there are lots and lots of people who don't have enough, who don't have even the most basic essentials. Um, In our context, when people talk about must-have gifts, what they're usually talking about is like the latest in tech or fashion. That's this year's must-have gifts. Um, But real must-have gifts, as we remind ourselves of every year, are things like food and clothing and shelter and education and healthcare and and access to the gospel, right? Those are real must-have gifts. So each year as a church family, we work together collectively to give some of those gifts, all right? So that's what we're doing again this year. And uh, we've got three big goals that we're going to try to knock out uh, together. I just want to let you know, if you go to vineyardchurch.us, that's our website, vineyardchurch.us. There is an e Ian Vineyard, vineyardchurch.us. If you go there, uh, you'll be greeted with a banner that right away uh, will make it very clear um, and all the details on these things you can find there. But uh, three goals that we're trying to accomplish. Uh, first, uh, we need to get a van to the kids at the Freedom House in uh, Haiti. Um, We'll talk about this more, in fact, in just a moment we're going to see a video uh, to tell you a little bit more information about this goal, but there's 26 kids at the Freedom House, transportation is always tricky with that many people, Um, but it's especially tricky in Haiti now because Haiti is falling apart. Guys, I mean, we can't really overstate it. It is now run by gangs and kidnappings are an enormous problem there. This is why we haven't been able to send short-term trips to Haiti because it's really falling out of control. Um, And as a result, transporting these kids in the back of a pickup truck, which has been the M.O. for the last few years, is no longer uh, a safe way to do that, not even close. So um, that's a must-have gift, (laughs) and we want to respond and provide that for those kids to keep them safe. A second must-have gift that we're uh, pursuing together um, is for a home. Uh, and a church in the Dominican Republic. We'll hear more about that next week. Um, But the DR, we've been doing more ministry there as our ministry in Haiti has expanded over the border and into the Dominican Republic. And there's a pastor there who has an incredible ministry to both Haitians and Dominicans, which is cool. Haitians and Dominicans don't typically spend time together, Um, but there's a church there that's been growing, um, and they've just been meeting in his home because they don't have a place to meet. We want to uh, provide a building uh, for them and renovate the pastor's home. We're actually going to send a short-term team uh, to work on that project this year. Uh, The goal for that, I know there's not a slide for it, but the goal for that is $10,000. It's incredible that you can do that much uh, for $10,000. And then we have another goal of $10,000 this year uh, for the the box, and the box is our need meeting system, so um, if there are immediate and urgent needs in the life of our church or in our community, uh, we want to be able to respond to those needs. Uh, The Bible talks about responding specifically to urgent needs, and the box gives us ability to do that. We are in our context where, again, most of us have way more than enough. Um, And yet there are plenty of people here in Blount County in our schools. We're partnering even more closely this year with our schools, guidance counselors, resource centers there who know the specific needs of of kids. They know the kids who don't have their basic needs met. So we're going to meet them. That's the plan. Um, So those are the three goals that we're working toward again VineyardChurch.us has all this information right there on the homepage. Uh, let's watch a video now to tell you a little bit more about the van we're trying to make happen.
0: Hey there, my name is Amanda Armstrong, and I'm the founder of the Beautifully Made Fair Trade Market that's held at Vienna Coffee House every December, as well as the co-founder of the Freedom House Children's Home in Haiti. I'm excited to highlight one of this year's must-have gifts. This must-have gift focuses on a huge need that we have at the Freedom House, which is a children's home that was founded in 2014 with 26 kids in Haiti that were rescued out of lives of slavery and extreme poverty. The Freedom House has provided a safe place for these kids to grow spiritually, physically, educationally, and emotionally for nearly a decade, and we are working hard to help them reach their God-given potential. This year's must have gifts for the Freedom House kids is a 15 passenger van to help transport them to school, doctor visits and other places they need to go. Currently, the kids are having to ride in the back of a pickup truck. While this hasn't been a huge problem in the past, it is now completely unsuitable due to the security risks and kidnappings that are happening in the country of Haiti. This van will keep our kids safe, which is a top priority for us. The amount needed for the must have gifts is $20,000. If you would like to help, you can go to the giving page on the church's website at vineyardchurch.us. You'll see that the giving keyword is van for this must have gift. On behalf of the Freedom House, thank you for considering this must have gift.
1: All right, you guys agree that's a must have? Cool good deal. So we're going to work on that together. You guys can just ignore this for now. Okay. Um, cool. Uh, we started a series uh, last week called The Soul Felt It's Worth. Uh, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to get the podcast because uh, it was some setup for how we're headed moving forward for the entire season of Advent here. Uh, What we looked at specifically was trying to get our heads around this really abstract concept of a soul. What even is a soul? So we're going to talk about that all through Advent. So again, if you missed that one, Um, that's one to grab on the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, But we have a little image here that I think will help just a little bit for a summary so that you're not completely lost if you weren't here last week. The Bible talks about how we are in some sense, let's not lead into this, and let's not build a doctrine out of it, but in some sense we are Trinitarian as God is Trinitarian. We are body, soul, and spirit. Um, And each of these things, these elements, these elements, of us are uh, separate and distinct, and yet they're kind of swirled together all at once as well. But we have our physical bodies. That's obvious. That's our outer person. Uh, that's the part that we, you know, the five senses, all of that. We have our spirit. That's our inner person. That's our non-physical self. In the Bible, this is also often referred to as the heart. So this is, again, our inner, our inner self. And then the soul, which is the most abstract, the one most likely we don't really have a working definition for. And what We talked about last week is that the soul lies deeper. It's below the other two. It's deeper and yet it impacts every aspect of our lives. It's like a foundation that our body and spirit rest upon. This is what we're more aware of. But underneath, our soul is really dictating to a huge degree uh, what's going on. Let me read you. A quote, this one from Dallas Willard, just the one Dallas Willard quote today. This one will be familiar if you were here last week. This is the best summary I can find. Our soul is like a stream of water which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do. Because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God and his kingdom. So, anyway, if I ask you, how's your soul? And I am asking you that, by the way. All through this season, I'm asking that question. I'm asking you more than whether or not your soul has been saved, as important as that is. Uh, The Bible makes it, we saw this last week as well, abundantly clear that your soul, your soul, can be saved And at the same time, it can be weary or downcast or fearful or thirsty or desolate. That it may need, though it is saved, it may need to be renewed or nourished or refreshed or healed or restored, etc. So again, if I ask, how's your soul? I'm not asking about your circumstances or your emotional state. I'm asking about something that's much deeper than that that in turn directs how you respond in your body and in your spirit to your circumstances and to your emotional state. All right, so um, it's the first week of Advent. The traditional themes of Advent are hope, peace, joy, and love. So we're going to be asking, how is your soul? And in particular, how is your soul as it pertains to hope, peace, joy, and love today? Hope. So here we go. How's your soul? And, more specifically, is it hopeful? Is it hopeful? Okay, let's talk about this. Picture a pot on a stove. Now, in case you're not very imaginative, I've provided one here for you to picture a pot on a stove. Okay, Um, the stove... Is your soul. You guys stay with me, okay? The stove is your soul. The heat, you're gonna have to picture that part. The heat emanating up from the stove, the heat is hope. And the pot full of water is you. Got it? Stove is your soul. The heat emanating up is hope. And the pot full of water, it's not full of water, obviously, uh, is you. Everybody relax, by the way. I'm not going to turn it on, okay? That's not going to happen. I don't, I don't, this is a camping stove. I don't camp. I don't know how it works, (laughs) okay? So I want to give you the wrong impression here. The flannel is just an aesthetic I'm going for. I'm not trying to communicate anything. I don't want anybody to think I'm living off the land or anything. I don't know how this works, and I'm not going to try to turn it on. Okay, so everybody, deep breath as that goes. Okay, so the stove is your soul. The heat is hope. The pot full of water is you. So here's my question. Are you bubbling forth with hope? Or is that water just Cold. All right. Now I know. I know. I know. This is a really simple illustration. What I try to do is I try to take complex ideas and make them simple and accessible. And I think I might have overshot it this time. This might be too simple. <laughs> I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. Uh, I know it's a very simple illustration, but I really think that's how this works. The soul sits underneath. And it controls the temperature of our lives. So nice and simple here. If you've got a, just a, a rolling boil of of hope, um, all throughout your days, then well done, congrats, good job by you. Could probably catch a nap here in the next few minutes. That's great. Good job. But what if you don't? What if you don't live with this rolling boil of hope? What do you do about it? What do you do? Because the default answer, I know this is the Bible Belt, the default answer has always been if you don't have hope, you got to get saved. Okay, amen, yes, true. What if you already did that and you still don't feel much hope? What now? That's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to lay some stuff out here, and I just want to ask you, before I even get going on this part here, um, I'm going to ask you to try to stick with me. Not because it's complicated, it's actually pretty easy to follow, but the fact is, this is something that you might, I might get started and you go, oh yeah, I've heard this a million times. And maybe you have, but maybe you haven't. Or maybe there's an aspect of what I'm about to explain that maybe you've heard a whole bunch of times, but there's, there's something, there's a nuance, there's something new, there's something more for you to get from the story. So stick with me, please, okay? I'll take it. All right. At Christmas time, we celebrate the coming of Jesus. Jesus came and lived a sinless life. He never sinned. All right, so what that means is Jesus was not under the penalty of death that we are under because of our sin. Uh, The Bible essentially teaches the the biggest problem with sin is not that it makes you bad. It's that it makes you dead. The wages of sin is, is death. Okay, that's Romans. So uh, we have um, this penalty of death that we're under because of our sin, but Jesus is not under that penalty. So when Jesus came and he died on the cross, he took our punishment, the punishment that we deserved, our debt for sin that he didn't owe, he took it onto himself and he died in our place. He did this freely. He did this as a gift to us. He died as our substitute. Then, Jesus rose from the dead. And in that, it was a really big deal. <laughs> in that, he was conquering death himself. And because he conquered death, he can offer us life. Does that make sense? I can't give you something that I don't have, right? And what the Bible says is that Jesus, through his resurrection, now holds the keys to death in the grave. Which means he's got death under his thumb. All right? He owns him, Okay. So because he has conquered death, he can offer you life. Now, that's the sort of personal piece, but there's a larger perspective here too. This is the part that maybe will be a bit new, but it's not. if it's new to you, it's certainly not new. It's been around for 2,000 years, but Jesus' death and his resurrection also conquered the enemy's kingdom and it reclaimed God's good creation. God gave us a good creation, and then we gave it to the enemy. That's, that was the fall. You see, think about this. Our sins against God actually cause two problems. The first being our guilt and the punishment that we deserve as a result of that guilt. And the second being that our sin puts us in the wrong kingdom. It's not just that our sins are, are bad, it's that our sins put us under the authority of the evil one. Because in so doing, we're choosing to, choosing to go that way and to submit to that kingdom. That makes us subjects of the kingdom of darkness. The work of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, is the solution to both problems. Okay? let me read you a few verses. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The cross deals with our sin problem, okay? But also this. Make sure you think about this one as well. Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness And transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. You guys still tracking with me? The cross conquered the devil's kingdom and made a way for us to freely enter into God's kingdom. Think of it this way. Without Jesus, we're in a spiritual prison. That prison is the kingdom of Satan. When Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for you to be released from your cell. All right, Picture that. He comes to you and rescues you because he paid the price for your sins. Because he paid that price, you're now free to leave. That's the solution to the individual sin problem. So if you can, play along. Imagine Jesus coming to your cell and walking you out of that prison. But, again, that's not the whole story. Jesus not only made a way for your individual rescue, but he also destroyed the works of Satan. 1 John 3, verse 8, But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. See, I don't make this stuff up. That's a quote. Okay. So what does this mean? It means, stay with me here, play along. It means that you can rightly... Picture Jesus, the King of glory, coming to your cell, walking you out of that prison. But hold on to that image just a little bit longer. And picture him walking you out of that prison, getting just a little bit of distance. And as you leave the place together, he hits the detonator and it destroys the whole prison. That's what Jesus does, like a boss. Okay, did you picture this? Picture it. Picture him looking very cool, not even looking back, just too cool. You know what I'm saying? Just walking forward. The detonator works on the first time because he's the king of glory, and he's got his eyes set like flint for the new Jerusalem, and there you are looking very, very grateful. That's what Jesus did. He blew the thing to bits. Now, quickly, two verses that explain why Christmas is such an essential part of that and how it pave the way for Jesus solving both of those problems caused by our sin Hebrews 2 14 and 15 because God's children that's us are human beings made of flesh and blood the son also became flesh and blood that's the incarnation that's Christmas for only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. That's the prison blowing to bits. (laughs) Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Okay. So now, just pulling it all together here, if we put our faith in Jesus, which which is, by the way, when we say that, I know it's shorthand, that's a combination of believing that what I just told you is actually true, and then pledging your total allegiance to Jesus as your king. It's a combination. Okay, that's true, and therefore I'm his. All right? That means we now live in obedience to him because we choose to remain his subjects. Okay? We want to be in his kingdom. Okay, so if we do that, we're saved. And that salvation then, Scripture is so clear about this, is secure. It is protected. It is guaranteed to us. And that is what the Bible calls our living hope. All right? I brought it back to hope. I told you I'd get there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth. That's what we're talking about. This rescue of Jesus, sometimes called being born again. We're made new in him. New birth into a living hope. Hope, Well, how do we get that? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead because he conquered our enemy. And into an inheritance. Our inheritance is our, the fullness of our salvation. Okay. And that inheritance, it says, is imperishable, doesn't die. It's undefiled, it's pure and right and good. Unfading, it doesn't lose its efficacy. Kept in heaven for you, that's a very safe place. You are being guarded by God's power. You couldn't ask for anything better than that, by the way. Being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And that's what he calls our living hope. So, here it is. Jesus offers us a solution to our personal guilt. And he offers us rescue from the kingdom of darkness. When we believe in him and we pledge our allegiance to him, we enter into his kingdom. And then the text that we just read, it's very insistent about this. It says that victory through Jesus is protected. It's secure. It says, again, it is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You're being guarded by God's power. And as we just read, that's our living hope. Our salvation through Jesus, period. Okay, so... Not to be flipping here, but if you lack hope, the first question is, are you saved? Have you done, have you received what we're talking about? If you're not saved, there's no hope in your soul to pass into your body and your spirit. So that's step one. Again, scripture is so clear. Just repent, which means to turn away. Repent and be saved. Surrender your life to Jesus. Put your faith in him if you haven't. That's step one. But if you've done that, say you have, and you're still like, I don't, I still feel hopeless sometimes, and I still, I don't feel hopeful. That's not my baseline. All right, so what's your move now? Because again, as we saw last week, the overall health of our souls is not a binary. It's not saved or unsaved one way or another. Our souls can be saved, but also in agony or weak or downcast. If that's the case, all of that hope for your soul isn't bubbling up from your soul. It's like like there's plenty of fuel for that stove, but it's not on. And so it doesn't bring hope bubbling up into your lives. And the fact is, a whole lot of Christians live this way. Lots. And it's sad. It's like the stove is there. And they're saved. They're saved. So what that means is, there's plenty of fuel to run that stove forever. Plenty of fuel to run it on high forever but the fact is, and there's no doubt you've been here, sometimes, on some level, the soul forgets. And it gets downcast. And it loses sight of what we've just been talking about. I hope you stayed with me. It loses sight of our living hope. And as a result, the flame goes out. And there's, it's sad because there's plenty of fuel. But it's just, it's just a pilot light. It's just what the Bible calls a, a smoldering wick and a cold pot. So, what can we do? What we see in Scripture is that there is a way to get to the dividing line between your soul and your spirit. There's a way, there's an axis, you can get there. Um, it's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God, it's the Bible. The word of God is alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desire. In other words, our innermost, our soul is what's innermost. It gets right to that place, that deepest place. Guys, the word of God, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, gets right to that pilot light, that needs to be lit. And we will we'll find ourselves just desperately searching. I need to feel hope. I have to feel hope. I've got to feel some measure of hope. And we're desperately searching everywhere. And the scripture itself says, here's the answer. It's in the word of God. So um, at, at my house, I don't always take great care of things. And so the igniter on my gas grill, I do have a gas grill. It's the only outdoor cooking I ever do. But I do have a gas grill. I'm not legit with the... Charcoal. Anyway, um, the igniter broke and I couldn't fix it. So now I have to use one of these deals. So you guys know how this works. You turn it's a little dangerous. You can lose eyebrows if you don't play it right. But you make sure the fuel's activated, and then you, you can kind of do it on this one. You gotta reach down. You get, this the igniter can just get right to that place to where I'm not even gonna do it, don't worry. But where you can light Just like a, you get right to that place where um, it can, it can, like one spark, can fire the whole thing up. The word of God is that long lighter that can get right to the pilot light in your soul, and you might go, Aaron, I, I I know I'm supposed to read the Bible, just like don't, just don't run past it, please. Being anchored. In the word of God. Walking, reading it and letting it read you. Being anchored in it is what ignites the light in your soul. As you study scripture, here's what happens. The, the fundamentally hopeful message of Jesus, you know what it does? It goes right in there, it reaches right down in there and it starts slinging sparks all over your soul. And eventually, it will reignite. Some people are like, I don't know. I read, I did, I spent two days in Leviticus. No sparks. Just keep, keep, keep going. Keep, just keep going. Sorry about that. Um, today, as I, as, I, as I have been telling you, or in, and probably in most cases, as I have been reminding you, about what Jesus has done for us. You know, the whole story that we told, Christ came, died in our place, rose from the grave, conquering death, the whole prison thing, walks you out, blows the thing to bits, that whole thing. Here's what I've been doing in in that whole process. I have been taking the word of God like a lighter, and I am trying to reach your soul with it. That's what I've been doing the last few minutes. I've been using God's word to throw sparks in your soul. I know I can't get there, but the word of God can in hopes that it, would, that it would ignite or reignite. Hebrews six eighteen and 19, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. So part of what we're told here is that hope is what anchors our souls. It also says that we have to hold on to that hope. That's what meditating on Scripture will do. That's what that daily rhythm, that habit, that habitual returning to the sparks again and again. When we immerse ourselves in the truth and the beauty of the gospel, it reignites the living hope in our soul. This is why you and you're, I'm going to say this, and you're going to think, "No, he's not talking to me." But I am talking to you, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. This is why you have to preach. You're like, "Nope, I'm out. <laughs> I would not rather die." Okay, uh, <laughs> you have to preach. You have to preach, and you might not ever. Pre- I mean, God might put you in front of the masses. Fine. You might not ever preach to anyone but yourself. But you have to preach to yourself every single day. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying before you get out of bed in the morning, before your feet hit the ground, rehearse your most recent sermon on the gospel about what Christ has done, about the living hope that is within you. Maybe it's 30 seconds long. Maybe it's 90 seconds long. But before you get out of bed, preach It's okay, you're the only one listening. You can can use the stove thing if you want. I don't mind. It's not copyrighted. Whatever you need. You preach the gospel to yourself every morning. And then the next thing you do is you grab your Bible and you open it up and you let the sparks fly. It's interesting about the stoves. I mean, it's obvious, but I'll just point it out. Stoves are actually designed to, to bring heat up. Um, it's harder to get sparks down into them, right? Like a, like a special igniter is needed to get the sparks down into them, you know. It's designed to make it go up. You gotta work, you gotta work it in. You gotta work it in. This is what we do with the word of God. We work it in deep into our souls. We sling the sparks and then it ignites. And it's the word of God that does it. You guys with me? You would be fair if you're thinking right now, Aaron, did you just take a whole sermon just to tell me to read the Bible? I did. Yes, I did. I did. I'll probably do it again soon. Yeah, it's a really big deal. Um I'm going to Is it okay if I tell you a really stupid joke? <laughs> it's so stupid. I heard this joke when I was a little kid. Um and uh, it was told to me as if it were a true story. And I was like, yes, this is a true story. I don't it's not a true story. I don't, I've, I've thought about it. I don't think it's a true story. But anyway, the story goes like this. There's an old country preacher with a, with a real frothy crowd watching, just like you guys, ready to go. And he's a fireball man. He's getting going. He's got his Bible in hand. And, and what he does is, is he's getting fired up. He, does, he takes his Bible, and he slams it on the pulpit. And he says, there's hope in my soul, and it burns like fire. And then you go, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he takes his Bible in hand, and he slams it on the pulpit. he says, there's hope in my soul, and it burns like fire. And you go, Ugh. And you know, you repeat it, and you know, it gets more and more frothy as he goes. And then at some point he gets just too excited and is a little tongue-tied as a result. And so he takes his Bible and he slams it on the pulpit and he says, There's soap in my hole, and it burns like it's, it's so stupid. I'm really sorry. I'm not trying to be crude. I'm really not. I didn't say which hole. Just, you pick the hole that offends you the least. That's the one that I meant, okay? That's so dumb. Okay, why did I tell you such a stupid joke? Number one, you told me I could. If you're offended, that's on you. And number two, here's the thing. I've done this long enough to know. Probably two weeks from now, that's the only thing from this sermon you're going to remember. That's why. And so I'm hoping that maybe if you see a Bible or a precariously placed stove, I really thought it was gonna fall in the process. But you see a Bible or you remember that dumb story that you go, okay. Yeah, there, there is there is hope in my soul. There is hope in your soul. If you're a follower of Christ, you have hope in your soul, and it does burn like fire. It does. But I added the slamming the Bible on the pulpit part. It's a made-up story, though. I'm almost certain. But just in case, I added that part because I wanted you to remember that part. Slam it! The Bible is the igniter that hits the pilot light, that lights you up so that that pot can be bubbling throughout the day. And there's a lot of folks who have done that, tried that, didn't sustain it. And then the hope didn't sustain with it either. And they've moved on to another strategy. Don't. Don't. Choose, as Jeremiah said, choose the ancient path. It's right there for you. Okay, let me invite you to stand for prayer. Uh, Psalm 42, verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? He says, because that can happen. Why so disturbed within me? Paul's asking talking to his soul. He's saying, soul, put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. Do you see what he's doing? He's speaking to his soul. He's going right with the truth of the gospel, and he's slinging sparks. Do you hear that? See that's what he's doing? My soul, why are you downcast? Put your hope in God, the living hope. He's your Savior. He's everything. He's slinging sparks in his soul. Okay. So uh, for Selah here, we take a moment or two to reflect on our own and then we'll sing a song together. And I just want to ask you first, remember we said this is the first question, does your soul have hope? Um, which is simply asking, are you saved? So I just, just want to back off any sort of emotional intensity. I, I, this is not a primarily or an, an exclusively logical Question, but can you be in answering it entirely logical? Have you done that? Have you surrendered to the King? Have you repented, which means to turn away? Have you moved away from one way of living and chosen to go the way of Jesus as a subject of his kingdom? If yes, then there's hope in your soul. If not, then there isn't. We can't do any of this on our own. We didn't conquer death. He did. We have nothing to bring to bear. So I would plead with you. Surrender to Jesus. He is the king. He is good. He is great. He loves you enough to die in your place and to suffer on your behalf. There's no bait and switch here. There's no yeah, but, it turns out. No, 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 it's like, well, I gotta live for him. It's like, yeah, but that's better actually. There's, there's no bait and switch. So a simple invitation. You say, well, how do I do that? It really, it, look, he already, he left the door open for us. He says, come on in anytime you want. And the way you come in is you say, I actually want to be in this kingdom. The door to his kingdom, the Bible says his gates forever stay open. The, the door's just, you just come in. You say, King of King of glory, you, you are who you say you are. You've done this for me and I'm yours. I'll follow you. That's it. That's it. Now, if you've already done that, and you think to yourself, I, I do have hope in my soul, and it's supposed to burn like fire, but this pot's filled with cold water. There's a good chance that you've tried the study the Bible every day thing, the take it really seriously thing, the accountability. There's a good thing, there's a good chance you tried lots of stuff. And maybe you gave up and moved on. Don't. It, you, it's how you sling the sparks and it will ignite. Hear me. The word of God is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword doesn't go forth void. It's effective. Just keep slinging sparks, man, every day. He will ignite your soul. Okay. King Jesus, help us to hear from you now. As we take a moment to reflect, to either turn to you in repentance and to surrender our lives to you or to redouble our commitment to studying your word every day, to placing appropriate value on it. Whichever response we have now, Lord, speak to us. And may may this moment be one marked by sincerity. A sincere moment before the King of glory, just slinging sparks in our soul. You love us, you died for us. You're the King of glory. You've done it all to rescue us, to set us free. We receive it. We receive it. May that living hope bubble in each of us. Thank you.